how are we going to end this uh, this uh, retrospective of, of of Ramona books here? How do we we jump into this? Will we just start with the uh, opening quote again? I was going to say like we could end it how the series ends, which is <laughs> kind of like a wet whimper. <laughs> spoiler alert so if you have that like sound effect in your like bbc sound effects library just play that (laughs) mitzi just she asked me she was like what are you doing tonight and i said we're moving we're doing ramona's world and and she said oh is that is that your is that the best is that the best ramona book and i said actually it's the i would say it's the worst ramona book and she's like oh it's oh really and i was like i'm not saying it's a bad book i'm just saying the Ramona book set a pretty high bar, and this book just reads kind of like a book. It just kind of reads like a children's book, not so much like a Ramona book. And I think that's telling from the opening paragraph, which goes, Ramona Quimby was nine years old. She had brown hair, brown eyes, and no cavities. She had a mother, a father, a big sister named Beatrice, who was called Beezus by the family, and, this was the exciting part, a baby sister named Roberta after her father, Robert Quimby. And that's the most just, in case you've never read a Ramona book before, and you probably haven't because the last one was published a couple of decades ago, kids. Unlike all the other Ramona intros, this one doesn't set up anything emotionally. It's just a laying out of facts. I can remember this came out in in 1999, mm-hmm. and it was something of a shock when it came out. Everyone just assumed that uh, Beverly Cleary was done. Yep. Particularly assumed she was done with Ramona because the uh, the series had ended so firmly on on Ramona Forever. It seemed like a, a wrap up to the series. You know, they they if if adult novels end with people getting married children's novels end with people getting born right and so roberta had just been born and that marked a transition in ramona's life she was no longer the youngest and she no longer had the youngest kids problems she would now have the middle kids problems which is is something that should resonate with me uh i was the youngest kid for the first 10 years of my life Mm -hmm. until dan came along and then i suddenly became the middle kid and that does that's a, that's a strange dynamic if you, if you if you if you have that happen a little bit later in life. Would you say that you were a regular Ramona? I was. I would say that. I would say I was a regular pest and a regular brave and a regular <laughs> age eight um, and a regular and your father. <laughs> but um, but but it was it was kind of exciting when this book came out because like the you know here was Beverly Cleary returning once again to to writing and when did strider come out uh 1990 i think it was like it was late it had been a while yeah and dear mr henshaw and strider were such different books from this i mean yeah i'm 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 alighting of course over uh muggy maggie because <laughs> i don't remember anything about that book muggy maggie which many themes of muggy maggie get repeated in this book like, because Muggy Maggie was all about spelling, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and this book is very much about Ramona's problems with spelling. That's the other thing about this book is after really taking Ramona on a, a, a difficult series of rides with things such as sibling rivalry, death of a pet, family members getting married and moving away, 
economic insecurity, the father losing his father losing jobs, and the this sort of coming to know her mother through the course of all these these stresses. We're we're you'd think that this book would up the ante you yeah. know because especially since uh dear mr hinshaw was rough in a way that i think no beverly clary books have been up to that point and instead it's about the gentlest most inoffensive book you could come up with yeah i remember reading reviews of this when it came out this came out i mean i would i i had graduated from college i had moved up to minnesota and this book suddenly kind of hit and it was enough of a deal that it made the newspapers people were like oh this is weird and one of the reviews just said there are books out now that are dealing with that deal with issues kids are used to having books that kind of deal with modern kid issues on a regular basis and ramona feels like a real throwback to like it's just it's just a book about a girl who wants to like play dress up with her best friend and that there there didn't seem to be like any stakes involved and they actually said like I don't think kids today will appreciate Beverly Cleary because she writes about old-fashioned stuff. And I was like, she doesn't, though. She tends to write about pretty relevant emotional stuff for kids. And this one's just kind of, I mean, it it's still insightful in a way, but it like, like you said, it doesn't have like, there's not really a whole lot to hang itself on. Yeah, I mean, what's funny is if you go back to Cleary's teen books, you know, those were written in the, the the 50s and 60s they were they and and if anything those should be very backwards looking but if you look at a book like the luckiest girl yeah that feels just so much more emotionally and um intellectually acute than than this i mean this this book is fine yeah it does, uh, that, that was what i was saying earlier it just it's like a a well-written book right which is offensive from a from a Beverly Cleary <laughs> podcast perspective, now right. she, she had written her autobiographies by this point. Oh, both, that's right. Both autobiographies. So she had been working on that, and I wonder if like the the practice of going back over her legacy and over her career may have inspired her to pick up the pen again and like let's figure out what Ramona's doing now. What's interesting to me, and I was thinking this today as I was getting ready for this episode, was it seems like Beverly Cleary herself was like, what haven't what haven't I done with Ramona? What's the one thing that Ramona hasn't gone through? She's gone through uh, being like the, the fear of like food insecurity and housing insecurity and emotional insecurity. Like what hasn't Ramona dealt with? And the only thing she could sum up with, she was like, huh, I've written about a dozen of these books and I've never given Ramona a friend. She's never had a friend. I guess I'll just write a book where she finally gets around to getting a friend no, Howie doesn't count. And they pretty much come right out in the beginning of the book and say, Howie doesn't count. Ramona needs a friend. And like, so it's kind of just a book about a girl being like, you know what? I've never had a friend. I'm going to get me one of those. And she finds the most like inoffensive friend in the world. Just a genuinely nice person. In tone, this reminded me very much of Ellen Tebbets um, in that 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 was the basic impetus of that book too was about Ellen Tebbets oh, yeah. slowly developing a friendship but the difference there was Ellen Tebbets had these these moments of of incredible writing you know I will always remember the the, the Ellen Tebbets pulling that beat out of the ground and, yeah uh, and or or 
horseback riding and, and get the, the horse being out of control. That felt dangerous to me in a way that in this book, Ramona literally falls through a ceiling and it never feels particularly dangerous to me. Right, because, and there's no, there's no, it feels like in an older Ramona book, Ramona would have fallen through the ceiling and then like tried to keep it a secret or gotten in trouble in some way. But everyone's so congenial in this book and the other family is so almost unrealistically like just forgiving and perfect that she falls through their ceiling and they're like, don't worry about it. Just don't worry about it. And they send her home. And then like, that's it. Like she goes home and her legs have some band-aids on them. <laughs> well, you know, um, we can get to that point when we get to it. But uh, if, if it's the kind of, if, I mean, I have a crawl space in my, in my current home uh -huh. and I don't, and I would not walk between the, the eaves because I, I know better than to do that. But if you really can punch a hole through the, the, the floor of that crawl space that easily, they might as well just say, don't forget about it because their house is made of paste and staples anyway. <laughs> yeah. They got, they got ripped off when they bought this house. The, uh, What's interesting is, uh, before we get to the plot in general, is each Ramona book so far has had, like, it's kind of, like, famous set piece, whether it's, like, she cracks an egg on her forehead, or she squeezes toothpaste into the, into the sink, or she uh, uh, she dances in front of all the, the mirrors, uh, trying on clothes. Like, they all have that kind of, like, sort of iconic moment, and it seems like this one tried to have the she falls through the ceiling like this is the wacky thing that happens to Ramona in it and it just it feels almost almost sitcom-y when it happens like something that would happen on an episode of Family Matters Urkel would fall through the ceiling his legs would be dangling there we'd all get a good laugh and then the story would continue it also doesn't really do anything thematically uh, yeah. with, with that I mean the other thing that has happened with each of these books in turn is there is something uh there's a moment where ramona has to confront something about herself or about her world and that's that stands in for some sort of a of a of a moment of realization you know the, this epiphany that she has about her situation mm -hmm. and you think about in ramona the brave she chases off a dog you know yeah. with her resourcefulness or in ramona and her father there's the scene where they sit there and they draw the largest picture they can of uh of, of washington state and or sorry not washington oregon. state or, or oregon state they, they, what book oregon. series are you in I, I'm I'm reading the the alternative uh, <laughs> Pomona books that are set in Seattle. She has a she has a sister named I don't know Weezus. <laughs> no, um, <laughs> that's the band she's in. <laughs> but in any case, uh, you you think about these 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 sequences, and those all sort of stand in for something that's happening in her life, and this book at least in the in the original i i don't know i have i have the kindle here i should look and see what the cover ver is for the kindle version but the the original the original alan Teagreen illustrations which are strangely um cartoonish in this like, like he's changed in, in the intervening yeah. years this original one has the picture of ramona on the jungle gyms uh rings right and that's supposed to be i guess a unifying 
image through this book because it starts with her talking about how much she loves to go on the jungle gym rings and how calloused her hands get and then at the end of the book she has this party where she invites all her friends to play on the jungle jungle gyms yeah and i keep trying to think to myself what is the metaphor here because i think like uh i think about swinging on rings and all i could come up with is if when you're a kid you have to learn that when you swing on rings the only way you're ever going to make it work is if you just keep going and let the momentum carry you because if you try to if you like catch a ring and stop and then try and reach for the other one it's never going to work right but so she doesn't really do that she doesn't really do that so the other thing that occurs to me is when she has her party it's a big deal that she is inviting all these other girls who are nine and ten years old to come be in the playground right and i guess in a way this book is about ramona's last summer in the playground because if you have kids um one of the sad things about kids is there 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 does come a last summer in the playground yeah and and it's a very uh it's a very strange thing because the kids will just be happy as clams going to that playground going to the playground and then the next year they don't want anything to do with it right and and so maybe this is this is uh, there is something sort of bittersweet about this book that you know, but but I'm but I'm I'm projecting on. I was going to say because I don't think any of that's in the text. <laughs> like it, it, th- that's what's so weird about this is I you're right I can't figure out what the like Ramona Forever, which of course sounds like the end of a series, <laughs> Ramona Forever uh, really just wraps it all up. Like this is she is now on her way to being a different person. And when we meet her in this, A, it's only like a couple of months later. Like if there had been a big time jump, if we had jumped ahead, like say three years to when Roberta was a toddler and Ramona was now like entering junior high, like I can see that, like, let's see where she is now. But it's only a couple months later, she's still like in that process of like where she was at the end of Ramona Forever. I guess I'm I'm a little older now and she's just not different enough. It's it it feels like either a soft reboot to the series or a a weird coda to the series. Like just so you know, Ramona was was still alive a few months later and like that was it. <laughs> like all right, we get like, okay. Like yeah, th- there were a lot I I read again and again there's a quote from some interview that Beverly Cleary did where people would ask what Ramona was going to do when she grew up and yeah she said you know that she'd be okay and she'd do something creative but she also made it clear in this quote that she wasn't interested in following Ramona through high school right the, which is a which is a uh, an interesting thing you know that she I think Cleary herself was wanted to leave Ramona in this per- perpetual state of childhood and part of the problem was the books she had been writing were taking her out of that yeah it just yeah it just sort of seems to hang there like (laughs) yeah she circled back around on this character and i hate to like criticize the writings of like an 80 some year old woman who is like reconnecting with like the characters of her like if a.a milne in his like last days was like i'm gonna write one more poo book and he did and we were like "Mm." Not as good as Pooh Corner Milne. Like, I feel like that would be... Like, I feel like she... Again, this isn't a bad book. 
this is a this is a fine children's book. It's still entertaining. Uh, it's still well written. It doesn't feel like she was losing her faculties or anything. It's 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 a fine book. You know what this reminds me of, and this is going to be very esoteric, but but, but bear bear with me. <laughs> the for Piper at the Gates of. Du- <laughs> No, no. I, although, although you know, I could go on about what I just did the, with the wind and the willows for a sophomore lit. But, but what I was going to say is Agatha Christie. Okay. Um, she she wrote, you know, Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple, among other. But those are the, her two main detective series were Hercule Poirot and Miss Marple. And early on in her career, she wanted to write a final book for each of them, and she so she wrote for Achille Poirot, Curtain, which was his final book. And she wrote for Miss Marple, uh, Sleeping Murder, mm-hmm. which was her final final book. And she had those manuscripts locked away to be published uh, after she died. Yeah. And, which is, you know, a wonderful story and very, very appropriate for like a mystery writer to do that sort of thing. But those, those stories were both written in like 1940. <laughs> and she continued to live... Uh, and t- and write mystery stories into the 70s right and 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 they changed a lot uh yeah. her, her her writing style her subject matter changed an awful lot and and not always for the better i i mean i'm a, i'm more of a fan of the stuff she wrote in the 30s that was that classic kind of goofy body in the library kind of mystery that nobody writes anymore that is very silly and, and, and has nothing to do with the real world. But as she went on, she tried to become more psychologically acute. She tried to write about contemporary topics as she saw them in the 60s and 70s. And and, and in some ways, the books kind of fell apart. But then she died, right. and these books came out, and suddenly here, was, here were Hercule Poirot and uh, Miss Marple suddenly magically transported back into the world of the <laughs> 1930s or something like that. And it felt really weird. Did they both end with them killing the other? <laughs> no, but here's a big spoiler alert for, for a series that's been over since like 1976. <laughs> Hercule Poirot turns out to be the murderer in the last book. Oh, no. But 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 for for good reason. Oh, okay. Uh, and, and we, so, so you can go ahead and read that and... and, and find out what his reason was and what what happened well maybe when beverly cleary dies the final ramona book will come out and she will have written it in 1964 like, and ramona will be like golly gee like she gets like i don't know like howie's transistor radio falls into the tub and like that's the end of ramona right. you know we've been talking for 20 minutes and we haven't started the story at all so wait wait one more thing uh she yeah. should have ended ramona forever with uh howie and ramona uh falling over a waterfall <laughs> there that's my last that's my last one okay so uh, ramona ramona's world what is ramona's world like what is, what is the world like if ramona ruled the world well uh it would be about a little girl who decides to make a friend and she does also the return of danny as we've mentioned in pre in previous uh episodes danny of unfortunate nickname mm-hmm. uh you know, it, it's it's interesting to me because uh, I was looking this uh, up on online, and while you're absolutely right that it is a a racial epithet, it is also a phrase that was used not racially, right? Uh, in places, and and I'm sure that from Cleary's point of view, she was 
writing down uh, uh, you know the slang that she remembers from childhood exactly and and you feel like you you, you kind of feel for her i do think you live long enough and phrases and words change meaning especially around these issues of slang and of race and it's always kind of hard to put your finger on on what's going to to change and you know so I, I i don't i don't necessarily hold it against her but i do find it jarring as i read it yeah i was i was thinking the same thing because i was like i would think that by this point an editor would have been like hey bev um <laughs> we've gotten some letters over the years <laughs> and you can just call him danny at this point because it's a year later and he may not want to be called that anymore anyway uh, but instead, she goes ahead and calls him that. Uh, but Danny's a much bigger character in this book. Uh, he is, dare I say, a love interest almost. Yeah, that that that's weird too, because because if in some ways, if the book is backwards looking, and Ramona seems to be arrested in her development, it is a little weird to have this kid showing so much interest in her. Well, yeah, but I mean, you know, it's a cute little elementary school. Thing. they she deftly avoids the the whole like if a boy likes you he'll act like a jerk to you like Danny's a little bit of a jerk but not in like an unreasonable like way he's just being like a jerk boy uh, and he he clearly likes Ramona there's even stuff going on with Valentine's for goodness sake uh, yeah there's so much in here that feels like it's just a compilation of like Ramona holiday specials or like episodes of the Ramona TV show that never happened, uh, which is something that the other books just never felt like, maybe because there's no real through line. But we also discover that Susan of the Boing Boing Curls, who has been in and out of this of Ramona's life since we started uh, with Ramona the Pest, uh, we find out, I think this is the first time we discover that Susan may be Jewish. Oh, right. Yeah. Be yeah. Because they're the Kushners. Right. Right. And uh, and we we've I don't think we've ever heard Susan's last name before, but yeah, uh, that's yeah. that's something. And we also learn that she has feelings, too, and she's hurt by the fact that right. she perceives Ramona as the popular one. Yeah. Um, which, okay, which fine, is which is but... Which is how The Merchant of Venice ended. <laughs> so thanks, Beverly Cleary. We discovered that she has feelings, too. <laughs> she's not just... Well, what's funny is Susan was never like... She was kind of Ramona's adversary. She was a little bit of a she was a little bit of like a priss, as they they would say. But she was also kind of tormented by Ramona. And this is the first. And this is the first book where like we really get a sense that like Susan's got some like dark problems, right? That she feels extraordinarily pressured at home to like conform and be a perfect child, right? I mean, th that's as that's about as dark as this book gets. In that the we we learned that Susan's mother wants to control Susan's diet closely. Yes. Um. Now it's not it's not like horrible stage mom controlling. No. It's more like I I don't want Susan to have whipped cream. I want her to have an apple. Right. Uh, and I and and we've seen this before with I think Beverly Clary has a certain amount of skepticism towards uh, what she sees as faddish tradition yeah trends in parenting so i think it doesn't actually come off as like susan has a horrible mom <laughs> no. who's impressing neuroses on her it's more like oh susan's mom is a crazy nutty 
uh, you know, health nut, health nut who who's you know needs to enjoy a Twinkie now and then or something like that. So th- what w- what this is is this a few months after Roberta's born and uh, Ramona is starting the next year at school is fourth grade. She's yeah. going into fourth grade and uh, and she's at Cedarhurst School. Her all of her old friends are there and she meets the new girl who is Daisy Kid, which might be the most made up name I've ever read in a in a book. Like, who are you? I am flower like child. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Ramona has a new a new teacher who is very interested in spelling and this is a a point of disappointment for me because Ramona's relationships with her teachers has been such a uh you know a a a big part of the earlier books mm-hmm. and 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 so much about her and 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 Miss Meacham Mrs. Meacham doesn't seem to be particularly bad or particularly good she just seems kind of bland and Ramona doesn't like her because she's interested in spelling and Ramona's not good at spelling. Right. And it goes through kind of the same Ramona teacher teacher beats though, where like Ramona does something and the teacher praises it. And then the teacher criticizes something the next day. And Ramona's like, well, first like the the teacher will praise Ramona and Ramona will be like, she's my favorite teacher in the world. And then the next day she'll criticize Ramona and Ramona will be like, that teacher hates me. And we've seen this pattern before. Like this is the same pattern we've seen with every other teacher except this time the teacher is just kind of emotionally checked out like there's no she's just being a teacher and (laughs) and there's not really a whole lot else going on there she's she just seems like a maybe 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 slightly more sarcastic than she needs to be but otherwise she's just a teacher teaching her students right you know who else is checked out in this book, though, are Ramona's parents. Yeah. Because they don't really show up for this book the way that they showed up for earlier books. And that's a little bit disappointing. Um, we, we learned that Ramona's dad is now a manager at the uh, supermarket. So I don't know what that means. I don't know if that means he's adjusted to his job mm-hmm. and he's happy with his job. He doesn't really talk much about his job. Uh, and, and Ramona's mom is... Uh, mostly denoted in this book because by the fact that she's reading Moby Dick for her book club, and I was going to bring that up too. Uh, yeah, we'll okay. get to that. But like this is this book. Uh, there's two things that are always like pet peeves of mine. One is books that just assume that broccoli is a terrible, terrible vegetable, and <laughs> uh, stories that assume that Moby Dick is just considered long and boring by everyone who picks it up. That like Moby Dick <laughs> means. Ugh, we've got to read Moby Dick. Whereas, I just not too long ago online there was a long discussion about uh, the wonders of the book Moby Dick. <laughs> yeah, I mean, for those of us who who like the book, it's it's a pretty easy read. I mean, it isn't even the longest book. You know, I think it gets unfairly maligned as as a long book. It's it's about six hundred pages in most editions. Yeah, like everyone everyone right now is reading it by Stephen King, and yeah. And that goes off on as many tangents as Melville did. <laughs> well, you know, I, I mean, I've 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 read Tom Jones, you know, and that's that's a long book, right? Right. Read, if she was reading you know, Finnegan's Wake, it'd be something else. Yeah, well, well, yeah, but but the, but the other thing about this is, you know, I'm trying to picture. Poor Ramona, poor poor Mrs. Quimby, you know, because <laughs> in the earlier books, she was uh, she was upset because she felt that. Um, she felt that that she was not achieving uh, 
what she wanted to achieve in life and she felt a little bit of a disconnect from the the, the life she she imagined her life being more carefree and Ramona and her mother and that was like the big the big revelation for Ramona was that her mom had longings that weren't always uh weren't always satisfied in life and so now you know she's a young mother she's she's dealing with all that young mother stuff you know and 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 it's particularly difficult to pick up with a new baby when you have these older kids who have different issues that they're going through but we see her dealing with it by (laughs) being in a suburban book club Mm -hmm. and reading moby dick I do like that Mrs. Quimby says our book club decided to read a book we'd all heard about all our lives, but had never actually read. And isn't isn't that a, a good thing to do? I I mean I, I do a whole podcast about this. So <laughs> I, I, encur- I encourage anybody out there who hasn't read Moby Dick to read Moby Dick. But I also encourage you to put down a book that isn't uh, working for you because uh, life is very short. Yeah. Uh, so then Ramona gets humiliated in class because she misspelled some words. She really does misspell a lot of words. She's not a very good speller. Um, uh, that's it. Like, uh, Beezus is Beezus, and Ramona likes to watch well, soap well, operas. Beezus is getting invited to a big, a big kids uh, party where there's going to be dancing. Beezus is getting invited to a party from the luckiest girl. Right. Beezus is getting invited to a really weird teen party that never happened in 1999. Right. And Beezus is, is getting her ears pierced. And, 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 and it, by 1999, babies were getting their ears pierced. <laughs> right. Yeah. So Beezus is hiding the fact that she got her ears pierced, presumably at like the mall. I think it was just like she went to the mall and got her ears pierced with a gun and like a piercing gun. And, but she's getting ready for this party that's a like, there's going to be boys and girls and there's going to be dancing and I don't know how to dance. So I got to learn like the latest dance steps. And I'm like, this isn't, that's not what, like no one's bringing out their like 45s and like putting on the latest, the latest, the latest super cool records. And yeah, well, there's, there's a couple of moments in here where Cleary pulls a, Oh, kids these days kind of things. (laughs) Yeah. Where first of all, when, Beezus's dad comments that, oh, at least she didn't pierce her nose. Exactly. Uh, which, of course, yeah, I guess that that certainly was something in the 90s. But then we're also told that Beezus is wearing her hiking boots around uh-huh. uh, with her with her dress and says, nobody wears dress shoes anymore. And I was thinking to myself, oh, 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 Beverly, <laughs> you know, hi- you're confusing Doc Martens with hiking boots. Hiking boots. <laughs> And, and you're also confusing Doc Martens with, you know, which which by this point in the, the, the they they were pretty much on their way out by the mid 90s. Definitely. And yeah, it's like it's like Beverly Cleary was sitting at home and she's like, I've got to write a book about the kids these days. And so she turned on VH1 for like 45 minutes, saw like an Indigo Girls video, a Counting Crows video. and was like, got it. <laughs> and there's Beezus. Uh, but they are very, uh, they are very arrested in that they, it feels more old fashioned than the books from the late seventies and the eighties did. Like, I don't know what, like Beezus would be invited to a boy girl party. Sure. But it would just be a party and there would be boys there and that's it. Like no one would say like, come to my dance party at my house. We're all going to dance. In those books, they, they completely inhabited 
their world. And I think at this point um, in, in the writing, Cleary was not particularly interested in doing any research on what the world was like. Yeah. You know, I, she, Cleary has said often that her books are just set in childhood. They're not set in any particular era. But as we've said again and again on this podcast, you pick up a book of, of Cleary's written in the 50s and it feels like the 50s. You re- pick one from the 60s, it feels like the 60s, yeah. the 70s, even down into the 80s. These we were very, they were very much of their time. Right. And they, but, the, and, and, but, but the strength was always that they were at least emotionally relevant. They were always right. emotionally relevant. Uh, right. And I think that's kind of what's missing from this. Now, again, I don't want to criticize an 80-some-year-old woman writing about teenagers obviously there's going to be like there's going to be gaps in her knowledge uh but uh also Beezus is learning french and just throwing french around like yeah. like i don't know i don't know like a, like a french person and yeah. ramona is not having it ramona is unhappy with all the french in the house yeah and i was i was very sad that uh that Cleary didn't even make a nod to Henry in this book. You know, he could have could have at least had this like report of Henry being at the party and making a a real butt of himself or something. And, he, and then he's like, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta get running. I gotta run. I gotta pick up some horse meat." And then he like runs off, rides off on his on his his ten speed, ringing yeah. his bell, puts on his his coonskin cap, his beanie. Yeah, goes goes riding off back into 1963 or wherever. Um, <laughs> that's okay. Uh, my only reference to this is going to be, we do get to catch up with Henry Huggins in the uh, Ramona and Beezus movie, which which uh, we're not touching on today, but we do find out what happens with Henry Huggins in that book, which I, in that movie, which I will consider canon when we get to it. Uh, <laughs> so R- Ramona gets, we, we, should, we should probably pick up the pace here yeah a i bit. know uh, willa jean is still a jerk <laughs> right willa jean is still a jerk ramona gets invited over to daisy's house this is something that's happened several times in uh in cleary's books not just the ramona books but a lot of other books which is the child being invited into someone else's home and being struck by the fact that other people live differently than they do uh-huh well ramona has never had a friend so right this is her but, first experience with this. But but she she went over to she went over to uh, Howie's house. Yeah, but Howie like a, doesn't exist. Like, he's not a real person. He's just a. He, uh, that those are the people she grew up with. This is right. this is Ramona's first experience going into the home of a relative stranger, and and she's right. but you're right. This has happened in so many books where they not only do the kids go to someone else's house, but they're envious of the way the other child lives because they're far more seem like far more laid back. Right. I believe it happened in. Oh, I can't remember. Was it was it Muggy Maggie? Yeah, because uh, bec- not Muggy Maggie. Uh, Ellen Tebbets. It happened in Ellen Tebbets. It happened in um, in the luckiest girl when she went and lived with those people. Oh, yeah, and, yeah. and that was a much more vibrant, crazy family. Right. That, that was the, they actually were a a group of bohemian mm-hmm. uh, eccentrics. Whereas here, it's like. Mm, they keep a slightly messier house than Ramona does. Well, and they still they still have a cat. Well, yeah, and uh, the you know that they are a little a little out there because the mother is plump and has long <laughs> gray hair held back with a clasp, which tells us all we need to know. Right. So so they play dress up at this house, and, and again, this feels to me like. It feels like Ramona, maybe it is true, Ramona has not had a close 
girlfriend mm-hmm. and maybe she's eager to catch up on the things that girls do in their pre-teen years mm-hmm. but it, it feels very you know again very backwards that she's the the, the first thing they do is they they're 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 dressing up in in like the old let's find all these old clothes that are in this box and put them on sort of way um you know this was the 90s they should be cosplaying at this point right 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 right. now they'd be they'd be playing super mario world or uh so yeah so she has like a cool older brother uh or he's like cool in the sense that he's like kind of rags on her but like isn't like exasperated with her all the time i do want to say one of my biggest pet peeves in literature in movies in anything is is fake bands or tv shows or anything that have unconvincing titles uh <laughs> like they don't like anytime anyone in a tv show is like we're going to clown burger and you're like i don't there's no no one would ever call their hamburger place clown but that doesn't sound real like and the show that ramona keeps wanting to watch is called big hospital and that doesn't sound like no TV show would ever be called Big Hospital. Right. Well, the implication is that she's watching daytime TV. Of course. She's watching a, a soap opera, which I find probably the most inappropriate thing here in the book because they, you know, no nine-year-old should be watching soap operas. But second of all, <laughs> this is, again, this is 1999. Soap operas were on their way out too. You know, right. This was not... Um, I mean, they're they're still. I I guess they're still around. They're still around. Yeah. Oh, they they're still going. Uh, but 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 a lot of them have 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 faded out because there no longer is. There, the, this is the point at which television is making that long transition to. There no longer is a Saturday morning for Saturday morning cartoons. There's no longer is yeah. a daytime for daytime TV. There's no longer is a prime time. People are just going to watch whatever they want to watch when they watch it. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, yeah. I, I guess if neither of them have cable, uh, right. they're stuck with network television at this point. Uh, I guess neither. Yeah, because I mean, by 1999, we had you know, Nickelodeon was going strong. It was on its second resurgence. Cartoon Network was going strong. Uh, yeah, we uh, we were we were being inundated with all kinds of new television. And again. I'm not going to criticize Beverly Cleary for, you know, not being hip to like, oh, the new TV series, The Oblongs is on. I guess I better like <laughs> write about that. But uh, sorry, that's that's the only Oblongs reference I'll make. Thank you very much. Uh, but yeah, there it, it is that thing where it feels kind of like it's that thing where you, it feels kind of like just slight. The tone is slightly off, like the pop culture references are just a little they stand out a little bit more for feeling a little bit like not genuine anymore instead of seeming like the writing they're written by a woman who is experiencing popular culture as it going along now it reads like it's written by someone who is guessing at popular culture because she's not interested in it at all anymore like she is completely removed from it so in any case this is not where she falls through the ceiling well it is where she falls through the ceiling when she goes over to the house and they're playing makeup um and daisy pretends to be a witch Mm -hmm. and shoves ramona into this crawl space right that's the second time she visits right that's the second time right Uh, and yeah and and okay so i'll say like Playing dress up with your friends. Mitzi still does that. Mitzi has friends who live just down the street and they have a huge 
bot closet or chest full of costumes and they will go and they will play dress dress up um i think mitzi's getting to the point mitzi is a little younger than ramona is in this book and she's getting to where she's kind of outgrowing it so yeah but again if you've never had a friend before <laughs> this is probably very new well what, what what typically will happen of course with the, with the child is they will they will graduate from playing dress up to wanting to dress the way they want to dress right. and they will they will make that transition to like now i have a personal style mm -hmm. and it's important for me to have this personal style and it's important that that style be highly differentiated from anything my parents know anything about yes uh well this is R ramona wants to be a princess and daisy <laughs> is a witch who according to alan t green uh hurls ramona into yeah. the yeah with some force yes like it's wow she just shoves her right into the attic uh where ramona steps on the uh on the lath as you said and right. falls through the ceiling into the dining room halfway right. halfway and everyone sees her underpants yeah yeah well i mean uh, like i said it it does it doesn't really feel um dangerous to me as i read this through maybe it's because I, I, I'm also at this point I'm I don't I know nothing's going to happen to her, but it doesn't feel particularly humiliating, or particularly painful. Yeah. Um. It. I mean, I have uh I have had accidents in my life where I've shoved my hands through windows by mistake or doors by mistakes. I have fallen against uh drywall and punched through drywall, and it it can be very painful. Yeah. It doesn't seem to be particularly painful to Ramona, and it doesn't come with any major consequences. No, it becomes all about her, like, tr telling, turning it into a bigger story than it is to her parents. Like, when she finally tells her parents what happened, she does this, like, really weird, long, exaggerated, like, fairy tale. Uh, and I'm like, I get kind of what you're doing. Like, they've done this in the past where Ramona is, like sort of tries to build up the emotion of a story to kind of center it on her. But this one just seems kind of like a little, a little self-indulgent. Right. Well, in this case, she is rescued by Daisy's older brother, yeah. which is a little like what happened in Ramona the Pest, where Henry r rescued her from being stuck in the mud. And it produces the same sort of emotional reaction in Ramona of, romanticizing this idea of a larger stronger boy rescuing her mm -hmm. um but i don't know it, it 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 feels flat to me yeah yeah she held on with all of her might and mane as she says uh and everyone saw her underpants and like that's kind of like what what ends up like her parents if i had fallen to the ceiling at a friend's house and then told my parents about it there would have been phone calls there would have been like a flurry of activity. This is a family who like not too long ago almost had to move out of the state because they couldn't afford like because they didn't have any money. And now they find out their daughter like destroyed the ceiling of a front of a house. <laughs> and they're not like, oh, my oh my, uh, let's call them, make sure our insurance. Like, are they going to like are they going to like sue? Like, are they going to expect like, there's none of that. They're just like, oh, I bet that hurt. Bet that bet that hurt a lot, Ramona. Don't exaggerate. And like that's that's the, literally the last you hear about it. Um, so Beezus goes to the party. Uh, she looks very nice. 
uh she comes home the part no one did so her father taught her how to dance is the whole point of this right. and he taught her how to like ballroom dance or something um, yeah yeah also there's a picture that alan t green drew of Beezus decked out in her party duds where she looks kind of like a she looks kind of like a character from oz it's a really weird picture <laughs> like it's not a it's a weird picture her face is strange i don't get it like i just don't get what he's going for here her head looks like a balloon i don't know <laughs> Sorry, yeah, Mr. Yeah. T. Green. These are some weird illustrations. Um, yeah, yeah. She comes back from the party. It was fine. No one danced, and she had a good time. Like that's it. That's literally it. Well, you know, you know, one thing. This is this is the one place where there was a missed opportunity for um, for Cleary to comment on uh, popular culture because by the late '90s, there still was a swing revival going on. In this <laughs> And and so learning to do ballroom dancing would have been a big deal. Yeah, uh, yeah. They she could have dropped some hot refs to like cherry popping daddies and yep. and uh, big bad voodoo daddy and uh, who else was doing it at the time? Brian Setzer. Brian Setzer. Yeah, that that was a missed. Remember the book where like they all went to the movies and saw you saw like Beverly Cleary's drawing of like. Bugs Bunny. Oh, you mean you mean um, Lewis Darling? Right, right, yeah. Lewis Darling. Yeah, and the, yeah, that that's that always struck struck me as such a strange thing in a book. This would have been a great opportunity for like Alan T. Green to finally draw John Popper. <laughs> <laughs> like here we go. This could have happened, but it didn't. Uh, what's happening now? Oh, she writes a letter. She's upset about uh, the grammar in an advertisement that she reads in the newspaper it was it was a tax it was a tax um preparation company that used the words gonna and shoulda right and and she takes them to task for that and this is this is clearly <laughs> at, at, at kind of her, her most scoldy yeah you know I, I i get it i i had a i had a father who used to complain to me every time people would use the word hopefully because uh-huh. technically technically if you say hopefully it will rain tomorrow it means technically yes it will rain and we will be full of hope while it rains yes one is supposed to actually say i hope it will rain tomorrow yes and he would my dad told this like pointed this out to me every time (laughs) as a child every single time someone used the word hopefully to mean i hope yes and i grew up with that in my head and 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 i can't get it out of my mind and i can't and I don't, I don't, um, I don't feel the same way about hopefully that he does. But I still can't construct sentences like that. I always say I hope. Yes. Well, yeah. And it's funny because Ramona writes to this tax office, and they write back, and they're like, "You're absolutely right. We will never do this again." <laughs> and she and she brings the she and Daisy bring the letter to Mrs. Meacham, who's over the moon about it because, she, I mean. I, I mean, I get it. as a teacher, you're like, that's cool. Like, it's cool that your students recognized something out in public and then took action and saw and like and feel proud of themselves. Like, as a teacher, you want to see your 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 students put their learning into action. That's great. That's wonderful. Uh, ideally, it would it would have more to do than just like your students becoming like intolerable pedants. But uh, <laughs> they do it. They write the letter. And that that is. And again and again. That's it. Yeah. Ramona, Ramona feels kind of okay about that. Right. And then 
this is kind of the only like real dramatic arc in the story now is the peas incident. Ramona's trying to feed Roberta. Roberta spits peas all over her. So Ramona is like, that's gross. I have peas all over me. I hate peas. And then she goes to get her school picture taken. And the guys, the photographer is like, I don't want to tell kids to say cheese anymore. I will tell them to say peas. And so he tells her to say peas and she makes a face because she thinks about Roberta uh, spitting peas all over her. And then she knows that her photograph is going to be bad when it comes out. This is ridiculous because schools do a photo makeup day. So it is completely <laughs> without dramatic interest at all. Because if it turns out bad, you send your student back for photo makeup day. Every school has done that since the beginning of time. Yeah. I mean, th this is a this is a tick that Cleary has, which is trying to trying to give her characters some sort of an internal an internal life that gets reflected poorly in the out, outside world like their the, the, the actions are motivated by like when Ramona pulls Susan's hair it, it it's motivated by because she just feels like it would be so good to pull that hair yeah and these things always feel a little bit to me like the the work of the author kind of pushing the character into doing something yeah um, and, and in this case it felt very much like the work of Cleary trying to push Ramona into doing something but again it doesn't have any particular payoff one way or another because she gets back eventually these pictures that don't look great and it turns out that uh, Danny likes them anyway yeah like and her parents are like that's funny that's funny yeah. Ramona at this point you know we we'd, if we'd had books like uh, you know long before this we'd had books like Judy Bloom's Tales of a Fourth Grade Nothing where a character actually swallows a, a, a turtle yeah. and, and kills a, the, their their sibling's pet and the, the, the stakes can be higher in yes <laughs> in fourth grade literally in fourth grade because <laughs> uh, in the next so then Ramona cat sits for Daisy's family they bring the cat over things get a little dicey because she has to babysit her baby sister for 15 minutes and the cat at the same time and uh, she does she uh, right. uh, Roberta gets her head stuck in the cat like cat like tower like the little like, cat plate cube yeah. and then Ramona gets her out yep and that's sure it happens. like that's it <laughs> it seems like I, I don't know what they think we're like I she couldn't get Roberta's head out and I'm like well we know that she's not gonna like die in there like <laughs> this reminds me um of I, I read an article last year about all the hallmark christmas specials yeah you know the hallmark channel christmas specials and people have commented all the time about how there are no stakes at all in these movies yes like they, they, they there, there are there's never if there is ever a love triangle in those movies it's always the heroine is having to decide between the good, decent, uh, working-class guy from her hometown and the horrible, <laughs> controlling fiancé that she hates anyway and she was going to drop anyway at the beginning of the story. And and, and people have, have asked, you know, why are these movies this way? And a writer said they had actually been told that you cannot make 
viewers uncomfortable even for a minute when they're watching these films. Mm-hmm. They have to never question any of the choices that are being made by any of the characters. They have to never be uh, worried about the, the, the character's outcome or their well to well-being or their health in any way. And that's the way I felt when I was reading this book. It was like, you know, it could have been a little bit more dangerous yeah. for Roberta. I, I don't want blood. <laughs> I don't want her to kill her infant sister off. No. But it just, but you want there to be stakes. At least emotional stakes. Like, there's nothing on the line here. Uh, if Ramona screws up this sitting job, if her mother came home before Roberta got the head out, Ramona didn't lose, wouldn't stand to lose anything. Like, Ramona wasn't really trying to prove, I can do this, therefore, I should be entrusted with more responsibility. Henry Huggins had greater stakes when trying to prove he could, he was reliable. Because he was trying to do X, Y, or Z, and he had to, he had to prove to his parents that he could be trusted. This is just Ramona wanted to cat sit, and so she did, and now it's getting out of hand. But there's no, like... If she had, if Roberta had gotten her head stuck and her mom had come home and found them that way, then her mom would have gotten Roberta's head out and probably would have scolded Ramona. But that's it. Nothing's it, it, you, there is nothing at stake. Like Ramona doesn't even stand to lose face. Like it's just that's it. It's just an incident. It's a thing that happened. And then we move on to the next chapter. And like there's no like reflection at the end. She's just like I guess it's hard to babysit a baby. The end. Yeah. Moving on. The Valentines. Well, there's a Valentine's Day at the school. Yep. And. Kids give out Valentines. And, okay, so Ramona is stressing over what to give to. Okay, I'm I'm gonna. This is not a, a promo, but I am getting what happens in this chapter confused with what happens in the Berenstain Bears Valentines book that I recently <laughs> reviewed, which kind of has the same plot. Uh, there's a boy that the do- that the girl kind of likes, but who's a little bit of a jerk, but not much of a jerk, a little bit of a jerk. She likes him but won't say anything. Are they going to exchange nice Valentines or aren't they? Is she going to make him a handmade Valentine or isn't she? And she does. She gives him, a, her, as you said, uh, a, little ver- a little photograph, a school picture of herself. Danny is the recipient, which he seems to appreciate. And then he writes her uh, a poem to her. It says, if you are eating peas, think of me before you sneeze signed racial epithet (laughs) president and ramona's like all right all right all right that's pretty that's that's the man i'm gonna marry yep that's pretty good she carefully folded his valentine smaller and smaller until it was small enough to fit into the little box in which she kept her baby teeth at home she would keep it forever which means no tooth fairy at the quimby house Because Ramona has all of her baby teeth in a box. Well, I guess that's what happens when you when you grow up in a house where the father loses his job and has to go work at the... Oh, no. Because when dad loses his job, the tooth fairy loses her job, too. <laughs> poor Mr. Quimby. He just I would say poor Mr. Quimby. I have no idea what's going on with Mr. Quimby. He hasn't been mentioned since, like, chapter one. Right. Well, he... Tre- no, he... he, he he te- taught he did yes, to right. dance. Yeah, he did teach Beezus how to dance. I get, I get, I guess it came to nothing. It came to nothing. even when Beezus got her ears pierced and was terrified of showing her father. He comes home and he's like, "Yeah, it's pretty good. It's pretty good." And then he like just goes out like, 
I was like, okay, like nothing matters in this book. Like nothing. It's like the whole family is aware that the series ended one book ago. And so they're all just like, we know this isn't going to be very dramatic because we don't need it to be. Well, maybe, you know, sometimes after you've been through a period of, of, of trauma, <laughs> you develop a kind of a calmness about things. Yes. Maybe they, they feel like, you know, compared to what they've been through. Right. You know, at least no one's finding dead cats. We don't, but we don't place. even hear like, whatever happened to Aunt B and Uncle Hobart? They did mention at like one point that they were off in. Uh, didn't they mention that? I thought they mentioned it somewhere. I think they, point. yeah, maybe they get like a sentence, but like something like they're up in a <laughs> they're up in Alaska. Like, let us hear maybe something dramatic happens in Alaska, and they have to. Like, I don't know. You knew that that relationship wasn't going to work out anyway. <laughs> oh, I don't know. They, that, that, they, they gave each other some smoldering looks there. That's true. They got into a big fight the day of their wedding. Uh, birthday girl. Final. final t- this is where it all comes together. <laughs> it's all been leading up to this. Yep. The birthday party, I guess. Like. Again, this feels like it should have been hinted at earlier in the book. Like, Ramona's worried about her birthday party the whole book. Will anyone come to her birthday party? Who should she invite to her birthday party? This year, I'm going to have the best birthday party. Maybe she gets in a fight with Daisy, and Daisy says, I'm not coming to your birthday party. And, like, for the last couple of chapters, she's been trying to win her best friend back so that she's not alone at her birthday. Something. Nope. Final chapter. Now we're introduced to the concept of a birthday party. Right. Well, I, I th- this is where we finally get this reincorporation of the Jungle Gym rings, which right. were mentioned earlier in the book. Although when I read it through this time, I I got to this and I realized that they had been mentioned before, and I had to go back and find when they had been mentioned because I had completely they had been so glossed over before. Right. And so if this is going to be a big payoff, again, it doesn't it doesn't feel like a payoff. I think that. I th- I part of it feels to me like Cleary Cleary's making a point here because um because Ramona wants to have her party at the playground. She wants to have it at the park. She doesn't want to do anything other than that and it turns out to be a big hit and all the kids love it. And so part of this to me is Beverly Cleary saying so screw you showbiz pizza <laughs> or Chuck E cheese I guess by this point and 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 like making plaster fun time take a hike (laughs) ramona is turning a 10 yes and she declares herself a teenager uh bezos is like you will not be a teenager and she says i will sort of be a teenager and she says zero teen that's a double digit number and i just want to say that zero teen sounds like it would be a name of a cool like band from the 90s of like 15 year olds that was sort of put together by like Nickelodeon or Disney. Uh, so there you have it, Beverly Cleary. You you were you did everything on the polls, just kind of in the wrong direction. I, I see. I, I see it more as like a Vertigo comic about. So you know, <laughs> there, there there was that comic Zero Girl. Oh, there by you go. Sam Keith. So well, anyway. Yeah, Zero Teen. Uh, so she wants to eat a bowl of whipped cream for her birthday, which okay. I guess that sounds like something a kid would want to do, but right. uh, her mom and her dad are like, no, 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 no. But we can have whipped cream icing on your cake. Um, 
that that's it which that's... is just whipped cream though i don't there is no such thing as whipped cream icing it's just like you we put whipped cream on your cake instead of icing i guess which is what she says she said we could bake a cake with whipped cream for frosting there is whipped cream frosting like is there is there? A, yes there's something i mean called whipped cream frosting which is a much lighter fluffier frosting uh well, but she you just know says you're frosting more than I do. She just says we're going to use whipped cream for frosting, which is not the same thing. Right. Uh, well, that's going to go flat really quick. It's going to go flat. It's going to get wet. Uh, <laughs> you may as well just dunk your cake in the cream right now. <laughs> and this is where we we come back to Susan. Ramona does uh, Ramona does quote Alice in Wonderland at this point. Ramona's saying, "Oh, frab just day kalu Calais. Happy words from a book about a girl named Alice. Cleary is allowed to name the book. I don't think she's going to have to like pay the Lewis Carroll like people a rights to the name. But this is long ago in public domain. But it's also it, it bothers me because it's not even a correct reference. I mean, it's not they're happy they're happy words, but they're from. A part of the book that's a little bit troubling is when Alice right. has just come through the looking glass and read Jabberwocky from one of the books and fi and finds it confusing and a, <laughs> a bit upsetting. It doesn't say happy words from a character named Alice. They are happy right. words from the speaker of Jabberwocky. Well, from the father of the character who kills a horrible beast. Yes. And in this parody of middle english <laughs> <laughs> maybe maybe she's referring to the book go ask alice <laughs> i haven't read it in a long time so maybe that's you know, said in there you know a friend of mine just brought up go ask alice and she was talking about how she she learned recently that that was all made up and she was very upset by this she only she recently thought, learned it was made up yeah i know it's, but, but I, I you know i hadn't thought about go ask alice in, in years so um anyway she was very upset by this fact well the the author or editor of go ask alice put out many discovered diaries by troubled teens so if we're looking for something to do after we finish all of beverly cleary's works <laughs> So the kids all come to the birthday party and Susan doesn't want to eat the cake. And then she breaks she down. The cake. <laughs> she has an emotional breakdown. Right. She's like, my mother doesn't want me to eat anything. She wants me to be perfect all the time. Suddenly, all the, there's, okay, this is the one chapter. That things kind of get a little interesting because there's this sort of jockeying of, of, of allegiance of all the other kids from Susan's side to Ramona's side, because Susan grosses them out with their, her talk of germs. Uh, so they don't want to eat the cake. But then Ramona comes back, and Daisy sticks up for Ramona. So they all come to Ramona's side. But then they all kind of... And, and this is indicated by which kids are and aren't eating their cake or pushing it away. And finally, what Susan does is, to reveal her emotional turmoil, she makes herself the center of the tension by hurling her apple across the park. Uh, and that gets everyone's attention. And then she's like, I don't want the apple. I want cake. My mother makes me not eat cake. And then all the boys come, uh, including Danny, and they eat some cake. And then Ramona's like, we're all friends here. Uh, let's go play on the rings. Swing on the rings. And they do. Uh, and it's very pleasant and agreeable. 
also like the ending of the book is also just kind of like okay which is she felt uh her uh the sky was blue little children still laughed and splashed in the waiting pool the rings clanged she felt better about susan danny liked her the day was perfect well not really but close enough and you're like all right <laughs> all right like one of the books ended with God buying them dinner. <laughs> like one of the books, like some of the books, like, yeah, like you said, like they, the family goes through like trauma and barely comes out the other end intact. Like you see them like put through the ringer and Cleary still manages to, to leave you with the impression that this is just one N not extraordinary family in America. Like we've been with them through thick and thin. We've, we've gone on an emotional journey with them, but at the end of the day, these are not people you would notice if you pass them on the street, you would not notice this family at the mall. You would not notice this family at a restaurant. They are just a nondescript family. Ramona is special only because we get to see the inside of her head, but she is not the girl that like people go home and talk about at the end of the school day. Like she's just a normal kid who has an inner life. And she managed to convey that in all these books while still like taking us on this like amazing journey. And in this book, it just sort of seems like here's some semi interesting things that happened to Ramona. I don't know what to say about the, the book. I, 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 I feel like you get to the end and it feels a little defensive to say it was the the way it is. It's sort of like I think I think Cleary put down her pen and said, "Well, that's that," you know. Yeah. I think she had that feeling like, "Oh, well, this was," a, but but I, but I I keep reaching for something more, and I feel like perhaps the more is that desire to leave Ramona in childhood, mm -hmm. that desire to have just one more book with this character the desire you know these are these are good impulses yeah these are things i understand um and in some ways part of what i admire about cleary is her lack of sentimentality and i feel like she's struggling a little bit with it here at the end of this, this series like she wants there to be a cap to the series but she already capped the series yeah and she capped her writing really well with Strider, like right. a book literally about writing and becoming a becoming a satisfactory author. And on top of that, she had her she had her memoirs, which are like a, an afterword. Yeah. That, that are, I, in some ways, I wish she had gone on. We'll get to the memoirs, I'm sure here. But but I, I, I kind of wish she'd instead of written writing this had written uh, a a third memoir because she the memoirs end with the publication of Henry Huggins mm -hmm. and they're sort of like wow there's a lot of stuff that happened after that yeah <laughs> uh, yes <laughs> many decades <laughs> worth of stuff that happened after that uh maybe they're in the vault somewhere right well it'd be interesting to hear like her experiences navigating the publishing system because yeah I mean, as I've learned just from doing another literary podcast, uh, the public that that this whole world, the the world of children's literature, is is fraught and, and competitive, and especially at the era when she started writing, uh, there was no real children's 
publishing world. It was all tied up with the adult publishing world. So it was just there was just as many men smoking big cigars in dark boardrooms deciding your fate as there were, you know, if you were publishing Tropic of Cancer, like and you were dealing with a lot of the same people. Like it was a weird world. And I would love to see like how that changed over the decades, uh, especially as she became an icon. Yeah. But instead, you know, we got <laughs> Ramona's World, which, again, is a satisfactory novel. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's all good. It's fine. It's just not <laughs> it's not earth shattering. It didn't make me cry. It didn't make me really feel much of anything, uh, which I guess is a problem. But it's very competent. But it it's competent, especially when it came out, in a field of children's publishing that was really shifting its focus uh, to to pushing children outside their comfort zones and opening up worlds of like emotional worlds to young readers and saying, you know, saying like it's okay to feel big feelings. It's a you know, like the world is weird and I mean you may be the chosen one kind of became like the overriding theme for a while, but uh, you know, and it may be like within that, within that atmosphere, we do need like a few Ramona's worlds, like just kind of nice stories about kids being kids. Uh, but this, this is, you know, it, it was just kind of a, kind of a little bit of a, a little bit of a whimper at the end. Yeah. Well, we, we've we've actually spent longer talking about this book than we have about a lot of books. So, Well, I think that's appropriate. I, this is the end. Yes. This is the last novel, John. Until yeah, we get yeah. her Don't Set a Watchman, this is like, this is <laughs> it. We find out that like Henry Huggins was like a, grew up to be like a horrible racist. <laughs> okay. Well, <laughs> I always have to bring up Don't Set a Watchman because to me, in 30 years, we will see that that was one of the greatest like literary moments of like the 21st century, and no one appreciated it at the time. <laughs> well, we will be back. Uh, you know, I, I, first of all, I apologize for us taking off like two or three months here. Yeah. Uh, we we we've been doing other things, um, but uh, and and this series is almost over. We we will be back to discuss the uh what is it it's called just called ramona and Beezus. ramona and Beezus, 2010 uh major motion picture starring selena gomez and the girl from the slender man movie <laughs> she has a name i don't know what but it I, is but, but i don't was know in, what it is either. she was in slender man um, but um and, and and then we'll probably discuss the we'll discuss the uh the uh memoirs yeah and who knows what will happen after that but yeah. but in any case uh, we're not quite done yet with with Beverly Clary and 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 again, Mrs. Clary, if you're if you're listening, please don't please don't be offended by what we said about this book. I, I we still love you. Yeah, and if you're listening and this is your favorite Beverly Clary book, if this is the first Beverly Clary book you ever read, you grew up with it and you were just you have nothing but a soft place in your heart for it. That is absolutely fine. We all love mediocre art. <laughs> We all love, I will go to the mat for the Goonies. So <laughs> there you go. Sorry. I mean, Beverly Clary, if you are listening to it, even at your worst, you're still better than some, 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 some other people. This is, this is a better book than your Leave It to Beavers. Let's just put it at that. Okay. Is that it? Are we done with this one? We're done. We're done. Click a cast. We never introduced ourselves. That's okay. 
ClickyCast is brought to you by The Incomparable Network. Find more funny, smart podcasts online at theincomparable.com. Okay, so um, that's we've been talking for an hour and 20 minutes, and that's too much. <laughs>